such a joy and a blessing to worship together and to stand there and hear the voices of my church family lifted up together in worship of our Lord. We've had a couple of extra special blessings this morning. Uh, at the 9.30 service, Mike and Valerie Stevens and family were here. They are back from Senegal and will be with us throughout the year with great opportunities for fellowship. And then with us to speak this morning is Matt Fisher. Many of you know Matt and Terry. Matt was associate pastor at Carrie Lyons Church from 1994 to 2004, when the family then went to serve with the Alliance in Russia. Uh, Matt and Terry have been back for two years, and he'll be talking a little bit about what's been happening during that period of time. And then, of course, in light of world events, we've all been wondering what's next, and so very much looking forward to hearing about that. Please come on up, Matt. Uh, after sharing with us, Matt will lead us as we participate in the Lord's table together, sharing communion. So we're so blessed to have you here. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. Well, it's great to be here again. It's always great to be here. I'm so thankful for this church. You just can't know because, like, I guess, maybe you can know. But for me, when we're away and even when we're here, uh, there's, like, so much, there's so little support sometimes in other places in the world. And as I think I've said before, some of our international workers with the Alliance, they served at a dying church and basically closed it and then went to the field. Uh, so that's their home base. They really don't have a home base. But it's just all of your love and all of your encouragement and sometimes all of your challenge just really concentrated and we, we get to overflow that and we're, I'm so, we're so thankful. So every time I'm have, I have an opportunity to be here and just see you, it's just really great. So thanks a bunch. I wish Terry was here and the kids, they would say the same thing. So there's a little bit of an odd thing. We're already down to 27 minutes and 38 seconds because they started it while Tom was introducing me, so that's not fair. And you may not know it, but while the music's playing, there's 30 minutes popped up there, but there's no timer for the music. There's only a timer for the preachers and probably a special one for me. Uh, but seriously, I want to thank Tom uh, Becker, and um, I don't know if you realize what a, uh, a privilege it is to be able to have this time to speak on a Sunday morning, and I take that very seriously, and the elders who are the pastors of this church, Scripture says elders are to be apt to teach. And so probably most elders have at least some strong degree of teaching, the gift of teaching. So within elders buds up and wells up from the Spirit things to teach on. And they need outlets for that. So it's great that there are adult Sunday school classes and things like that. And there's a Sunday, there's Sunday morning, but there's very few of those comparatively. And so for me to call Tom a few weeks ago, Say, hey, listen, we have some updated news about our future in terms of missions and things like that. I was wondering if I could come and share at, First, at Cary Alliance. And I was, I was thinking to myself, I hope I get more than a two-minute missions me uh, minute, uh, but 10 would be really great. And Tom just said, you know what, why don't you just take the whole service? And then 
I thought that might have been confirmed by the Lord because a few days later he got COVID. Uh, but, uh, but he's better now, so he could have preached today. So that's a really big uh, deal. Um, well, I was just at my son's wedding in Northern Virginia, and uh, Jonathan and his bride on her family, some of the family lives up in Minnesota and attends uh, Bethlehem Baptist Church, John Piper's church. And uh, Bethlehem Baptist and its two satellite churches one of the guys was telling me who actually works with Desiring God, uh, supports 170 missionaries. But the really neat thing is, is that each of the missionaries are tied in structurally to, I guess they call them Barnabas groups or home groups and things like that, for direct support. So they always have this, this cadre of people back at the church who are, who are intentionally really praying for them and supporting them. And I thought to myself, you know, Carry Alliance doesn't have that that in place structurally, but Terry and I and the family know that, you know, you all love us. You, you have to love us. Even if you hate us, even if we're your enemy, Jesus says you have to love us. Uh, and if you just know us a little bit, then we're your neighbors, so you have to love us. Uh, and if you're your, our close friends, then you, you need to love us too. So I know you all love us at some level, but as you know, with all of us, we have concentric circles of closer and further out relationships. But there are several people in this room right now and in the 930 service who just, you just know you're, you're kind of tied in with the fishers. And, that, and you, you, you may not even be tied in with each other as much, but together you really form, as well as the outer band as well, just uh, such, such a level of encouragement and challenge and strength for us from the Lord through you. So again, just want to thank you so much very much. I can't, can't do it enough, but we need to move on. So um, the first part of our time is going to be more of a show and tell type of thing where uh, we have slides where I'll be talking about, uh, um, well, in just a moment, we'll be doing that, uh, what's been going on and what looks like the future is going to be for us. And then we'll be moving into our communion time. So to begin with, why don't we just look at some, just very briefly, the fishers through the years, just to bring up the speed of uh, you know, where we were. So here we were, this is in 2004. We'd already been at Cary Alliance for 10 years, started in, two, in 1994, and so here we were, and a lot younger and a lot trimmer, and uh, the hair actually had natural color, and mine, mine is natural. Uh, how do you recover from that? There's no way to recover from what I just said. Okay. Other than just have Terry not listen to that, uh, this sermon. At any rate, so the kids are getting old, so we move on. And so here we are, I think this is 2008. Everybody's getting a little bit older. I think that's like Beth, Terry's best prayer card picture. I think that's a fabulous picture of her. So, and we move on. The kids are growing up. And here we were. This was on some mountain outside of Stanton, Virginia. Uh, we were visiting Paige and Angela Adams in uh, uh, 2012-13, and this is getting older again. Okay, next one. Then here we were, this was 2017, about four or five years ago, and they're getting to be almost adults. And then finally, our latest one, which you saw at the uh, missions conference a year and a half ago. This is uh, all of us now. So we're kind of all grown up, and it's hard to believe, and the kids are on their way, which we'll be talking about in just a few minutes. So I want to bring you up to speed now from June of 2020 until the present. So we got back from the field the last time, as Tom said, two years ago. 
You're like, two years? Aren't you only supposed to be home for one year? Yes, that's right. So just chill for a sec. So uh, we got back in June of 2020, right in the middle there of COVID. And we, of course, normally would have gone on tour. It's called going on tour. <laughs> Sounds like a rock concert or something. Uh, going around to these different church, the Alliance churches in the, in the fall and then in the spring of 2021. And then we would have left l- last summer to go back to Russia. Well, Fall of 2020 and spring of 2021, I think we went, I think I visited five churches, including Cary Alliance. There were just hardly any missions conferences uh, going on during, during that time. Well, along about November of 2020, it's kind of how it works, at least for the fishers with the whole going back to the, to the fields, like going back to Russia type thing. When we come back every time, well, let me step back for a moment there. When, when, when we're in Russia, when I'm in Russia, I think I've said this before, I, I try not to think about you and, or anything else in this wonderful country. Uh, be, I, I think of you in terms of individuals and things like that, and boy, they're probably having a great time at Carrie Alliance or whatever type of stuff, but I try not to think. I try to plug in you know, and look out my window at the blizzard you know, two-thirds of the year or whatever and just you know, do, do the ministry there you know, because there's lots about Russia that's not like fleshly fun, okay, or whatever you want to call it, like in terms of satisfying to your eyeballs or to, um, you know, just like fun or whatever types of stuff. And then when we get home, then it's like decompression time. So we get get back to the States and I try not to think about Russia. And that's actually not so hard. Just disappears from my mind. I'm in America, I'm plugging back in with friends, lots of you and connecting back as much as we can before we go on tour. And then um, uh, lost my train of thought for a second. So, but then around Thanksgiving is when it's like, you know, the hand of Providence, the clock is moving and it's like, oh, Christmas. And then we, then we have to start thinking about Russia again, packing and all that sort of stuff. So it's along about that time when you have like the go, go, no, go decisions type of thing. You say, go, no, go, but your missionaries, your career missionaries, and you, you love everything about what you do and the Lord's called you. And so therefore, Is there even a discussion? Yes, there are discussions. There are lots of discussions, lots of prayer, lots of things like that. Because there's always, time moves along, and there's always, you know, stuff going on in the field. Like, are there still, is is it still viable ministry over there? And there's stuff going on at home. Like, parents are getting older, and who, you know, are we coming to a point where we need to stay to help parents or whatever type of thing? And then there's also just, uh, just all sorts of questions and things like that. So, but this, that November of 2020, we weren't on the same page. Terry and I weren't on the same page, frankly. Just, just weren't there to be able to say definitely we're totally, we think the Lord has, has us uh, going back, like just type of thing. So that was a big deal. And so we called, we were talking to our regional director, Trent Thornton. They just retired, but Trent's spoken here before and said, hey, Trent, listen, we don't want to get out off the grid. We don't want to burn any bridges. We're, you know, we don't know that we're not going back to Russia or wherever. We just, we're just not sure what to do right now. And we're like, is it possible to even stay a second year, not to loaf around, but, you know, is there something we could do? And one of the things he suggested was, well, you know, we have these I-wires, these international workers in residence for one year at each of the Alliance Bible Colleges or Christian, Christian Colleges throughout the United States. So he said, why don't you write to Toccoa Falls College and see if they've gotten their eyewire already for next year? 
So I wrote to them, and they said, no, we haven't, send us your stuff. So I made up a little resume type thing and sent it out to them. And in January, they wrote back and said, you know what, we'd, we'd love to have you and Terry come and, and serve in that capacity starting in August of 2021. So that was really good news because it meant there was something for us to do and we'd still be in the alliance loop in terms of as the Lord was working in us and in circumstances and things. So we um, finished out our year in different churches. Terry's dad in January of 2021 died of COVID. So that was like a huge providential event in our lives and especially in her life. And so really until just a, a month or two ago, Uh, Since that time, every three weeks or so, she's been going to Western North Carolina because her mom died a few years ago to meet with her sisters and go through the estate and just work through this big estate of of all the stuff that was was there. So that's been helpful to be home for that as well. So then we started at Tocoa Falls in the last August, and it it I can't tell you what a great experience it was. I, before that time, I was a walking billboard for Columbia International University, and I still am. It's a great school. Uh, and, but I didn't know much about Tacoa. You'd say, well, you served on staff here for 10 years, and Tacoa is in our district. Yeah, but for some reason, I didn't get down to Tacoa very much, and I, and I didn't know the inner workings of what was going on in the school and things like that. So we got there. I really didn't know what to expect. Uh, and so they plugged me into the Global Ministries Department, uh, which is like the missions department, which is a little odd. It's like this paradoxical thing because in Russia, like I'm technically a missionary, but what I do in Russia is I teach Bible and theology in a Christian university. So the, the global ministries department building is here. And then across the campus, you can almost see it is Earl Hall. And that's the biblical studies department. So I was in with a bunch of missionaries I've had one missions course in my life. So I'm supposed to be on staff in the missions department. I don't really know very little about missions. Uh, and I'd like, like lo- look longingly across the campus to the Bible and theology department where, where they were doing what I didn't actually normally do as a day job, day ministry sort of thing. So it was kind of fun that way. But I can just tell you from my experience there at the global ministries department, the Bible and theology department, and then the uh, pastoral ministries department, three different things there. Like, I, I don't know what about nursing and business school and all that stuff, but those departments, boy, it's just, it's fabulous. It's fantastic. I would highly encourage or recommend that school for any, any uh, young people who are thinking of going into those areas that the Lord might be leading them into. So had a fantastic time there at Tacoa, And it was very interesting uh, to fast forward a little bit, just about April of this year, so just a few months ago, I was musing over the fact that of what a great year we've had there at Tacoa, and lived on campus and just basically walked down the hill to the, to the school each day to my office and then just start you know, preparing things or meeting with students or teaching uh, classes and things like that and interacting with this great group of people. And I thought, you know, this, t- this ticks off every box I could imagine in terms of like satisfaction in my life, literally. And, I've, and I thought about it, and, I, and I've actually told some people, this past year at Tacoa Falls, I would say has been my most, I know it sounds kind of crass to say it or whatever, or shallow, but like satisfying year of ministry I've ever had in my life. You say, well, well didn't you serve here for 10 years, Matt? Yeah, I did, and you guys are great. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's true. But in terms of the combination of, uh, of 
having pastoral ministry to the students, and I thank so many of you for instilling that in me, uh, being able to do that, but then also taking from our time in Russia with the teaching and preparing lectures and that side of things, but it's not in English. You know, to have those both kind of in one there this year was just fantastic. And I thought, boy, like everything about this time here at Tekoa is better than Russia. <laughs> it's, it's in English. There's lots of students. It's a great staff. It's a nice campus. It's warm most of the time. Uh, whatever. We're near our family. We're not too far from our church uh, home and things like that. Just really weighing down the scale. And then there was... But it was really cool. It's this, this thing in April, it hit me. I was like, yeah, but there's this brick on the other side that all this stuff over here can't match. And that is, in Russia or Ukraine or Moldova, there is so little access to the gospel. And that, I was surprised outweighed all of this for me. It's, it's as if, bear with me, it's as if Taco was like heaven. Now, I know there won't be a global ministries department uh, if there's a Taco Falls in heaven, but there might be other departments there. Uh, but as cool as that is, this isn't heaven yet. This is still, the work's got to be done. And so the, 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 the thought that if there is still some kind of residential program with students, even in Russian, overseas somewhere, and there's an opportunity there, that, that's, that's better for now than even such a great opportunity or a situation going on there in Tekoa. So that was really neat for me uh, to think through, and I thank the Lord for that. But backtrack just a little bit to November of this past year. Uh, we... Uh, the alliance, uh, the, our, we've been serving in Russia at St. Petersburg Christian University, and their residential program has really dropped over the years. Uh, down to, it's like down to like seven people. And they're probably going to close it soon. Well, back in 2012, the reason we left Krasnodar was because they had, had needed to close their residential program at their school. And I've probably shared with you before that I mean, many of you have probably been to seminars, like intensive seminars for a day or even five days, where it's virtually an information dump. It's like eight hours a day, you're sitting there just being deluged with information in this, and you come back, supposed to come back the next day and just take all this in. Well, that's like what a non-residential class is like, an intensive class. There's a place for it. But to have us all the way over there, living there and being supported over there, I think to myself sometimes, I could, I could upload, I could teach in my office in the, our basement of 403 Ann Street in Cary and upload videos to YouTube and still get do, teach intensive courses that way. That we wouldn't need to be over there and being supported by the Great Commission Fund and all that sort of thing. So around November, and the Alliance didn't necessarily have much going on in terms of other ministries. Uh, for Russian speaking in terms of teaching. So around November, I, tossed, I, I called or I emailed a good friend over in, uh, he, they actually live in Austria, but he's a German Kazakh. It's a long story. Anyway, he knows from Moldova over to Mongolia, all the schools that are still functioning, Christian schools that have, that have residential programs and are still, and are in Russian. And he said, as far as I know, Matt, there are three. There's St. Petersburg Christian University, which you know about. 
There's uh, Ukrainian Evangelical Theological Seminary in Kiev, UETS, has about 30 students. And then there's this school in Moldova, which has about 130 to 150 students. Uh, and he gave me the contact for each of those. And of course, I was drawn to the Moldova, not necessarily of course, but I was drawn to the Moldova one because, again, this, the reality of the unreached peoples there, because they have such a focus on uh, Central Asians there uh, in, in the Moldova school. So I contacted this guy and we started, and you'll see his picture in a few minutes, and started corresponding and just, just again, feeling out the situation, saying, hey, I'm Joe Blow from whatever, you know, I've served in Russia with this group called the Christian Missionary Alliance. I'm just wondering if you have any openings for Bible and theology teachers, because this is our situation, this is where we've been, and we're poking around to see what the Lord, you know, what doors might be open. So we began to have good conversations. Then around December 15th, Trent and Sharon Thornton, our regional directors, call us up, say, we, gotta have, we wanna have a Zoom call with you. And they say, we've got great news. An opportunity just opened up. About a week ago, about 15 to 20 churches in the Donbass region of Eastern Ukraine joined the Alliance World Fellowship they don't have a lot, whole lot, for the most part, of formal biblical and theological training. So what we want you to do is move to Kiev, and you make regular trips over to the Donbass to teach these pastors, and Terry can help uh, um, mentor and things their wives and stuff like that. And I was like, that's cool. That sounds really neat, because it did. Although it would still be kind of non-residential to some degree, so I wasn't as thrilled about that. And then I told him, I said, there's this other thing in Moldova that we've been looking into. And he said, oh, that sounds nice too. And so he was pushing more for the Ukraine thing. I was pushing more for the Moldova thing. And then February 24th happened. And suddenly it was, what was that thing you were telling us about Moldova? <laughs> uh, so, and I had continued that relationship and emailing and things with, uh, with our contact over there. And so this past May, just a couple of months ago, uh, we, the Alliance brought together all the Christian Missionary Alliance international workers from Ukraine and Russia because we've all, all been pulled off the field, whether we were on home assignment or not. And we met with the higher-ups up the line, uh, regional directors and vice president and, and things in, up in Ohio, which is wh where the uh, national office has recently moved to. And it was basically a four or five day prayer time and discussion time to basically say, what's, what's on the table for us? You know, what... What are you thinking? What are you all thinking up in the higher ups? And, what are, and they were asking us, what are you all thinking down at the ground level in terms of what we should do, what, what, what's available? So some of us had been doing some probing around on our own, like, like I had done. And so we pitched, I'd already, already floated kind of a, kind of a quasi-proposal to uh, the regional director, but it was gotten into much more seriously there up in Ohio. And up the line, as we had conversations, they said, you know what, this sounds like this really could work, even though the Alliance has never been in Moldova and never worked with the school over there. So they said, why don't you and Terry go over on a uh, exploratory kind of vision trip or whatever for several days and find out kind of on the ground what's going on there and come back and give us a report. So we did that in June, just a month ago. And I want to show some slides now of that situation to introduce you to the situation over there in Moldova. All right. So we were over there, and this, the slides are kind of um, 
not in the order of the events at a time of when they happened, but I wanted to just get some faces out there. So there's Terry right in the middle, and then Hannah came over with us as well. You say, well, why did you bring Hannah over? The Great Commission Fund didn't pay for Hannah, or at least directly, we, we paid for Hannah. Uh, Hannah, we left Russia just toward the end of Hannah's junior year of high school. And so, some of you who have teenage children or some of the teens who are here, you know, it was, I didn't really realize it at the time, but talking a lot more and thinking it through, you know, it really was a difficult time for some of the high schoolers, uh, especially getting close to graduation and things like that, where they weren't able to kind of finish off the year they wanted the way they wanted or graduate the way, the way they wanted or see their friends the way they wanted. Well, that's the way it was with Hannah. We came back in, in June, but from March on, we were basically locked in our apartment. Everything had kind of closed down, and she couldn't really see friends or really say goodbye to Russia. Well, Moldova is not Russia, but it's like the next best thing because it was a Soviet socialist republic. So there's still a lot of falling down kind of Soviet-type buildings and things like that. There's a lot of Ru everybody speaks Russian over there as well as Romanian. And so Hannah was really in her element there. She just loved our, our time there because I think it quite frankly reminded her of Russia. And I think it was really helpful for her to kind of work through kind of saying some goodbyes because quite frankly, I have no idea when any of us will be able to get back to Russia, including Hannah. So Hannah was there. And then the guy on the left is Mihai. He's, our, he's the contact guy uh, for us over there uh, who I'd been speaking with since, interacting with since last November. He's Romanian, and it's an interesting story. He's one of the founders of the school uh, over there that uh, focuses on Central Asians. And he, during the late 1980s, he was drafted, of course, into the Soviet army because he was part of the Soviet Union, even though he's kind of not, uh, obviously he's not Slavic and he's also not Central Asian. Uh, but they sent him, as far as he knows, partially because he was a believer. His dad was an underground Baptist pastor and he was a believer as a late teenager, and they put him in a unit in Siberia. I think Parsity just get him out of the way. Well, in Siberia, in that time, Siberia included Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, and all these Central Asian countries. So he's stationed with a unit over there, so he's getting to know all these Central Asian peoples who he'd never really met before because he grew up in Moldova. And he got a real burden for these people, like and began to pray, Lord, if it, if it ever comes about in the future, I'd love to be a part of reaching these Central Asian peoples who have so little access to the gospel. So, lo and behold, a few years later, the Soviet Union collapses, and he, he's a, able to be on the ground floor of getting the school started. And in 1997, 1997, they began this real focus on Central Asians. And since that time, they've had over 100 students every year residentially uh, on campus uh, from s several of the Central Asian countries. So that was really great to finally meet Mihai there in Moldova. So we can move on now and just uh, to some of the next slides. Yeah, so here, uh, just quickly, this is Chisinau, which is the capital of Moldova. Moldova is only like 2.6 million people, and Chisinau is about 600,000 people. Uh, but the capital's nice. It's, the country is very interesting. It's very hilly, kind of reminds me of uh, central Pennsylvania. Uh, hilly, but not mountainous uh, type of thing. And here, they have some nice gardens in the middle of the city. Here was at the school. So the school is right downtown. It's a 10, 15 minute walk from the Stefan the Great monument. Everyone has heard of Stefan the Great. 
No one's heard of Stefan the Great. He was the great Moldovan leader from 1450 to 1500 and defeated the Ottoman Empire lots of times. At any rate, he's their guy. Uh, the school, uh, Moldova is also, uh, has per capita brought in the most refugees from the Ukrainian conflict with Russia. And so uh, the school runs this former Soviet camp that they've transformed into a, a Christian kind of camp. And so we were able to visit this camp and they, some of the students from the school were running programs for these refugee kids. Uh, and so here's some of the pictures of that. And I think the next picture is of some of the parents and grandparents of these kids. And, just, and you know, it's one, thing, it's one thing to read it in the news and to see highlight clips and things like that. It's, a, it's another thing to be literally over there in Moldova and watching these kids and thinking, you know, you, your dad might have died and you don't even know it or he's taken prisoner or whatever, and then seeing these old, older folks who are, I know they're not really old, but some of them are a little bit older, uh, and they're totally displaced from their homes. Uh, their sons may be over there, or and some, for some of them, their spouse is over there. So it really was driven home for us. So then in the next slide, I think we're, it was interesting, this was in that building we just saw a moment ago, kind of like the, that cafeteria at that camp, and uh, Terry, I guess, cl- got this picture. So here I'm talking with Michai, and I specifically remember this conversation. We were literally talking nuts and bolts about, if I come here, what would I do? Type of thing. It was, it was a real nuts and bolts type of conversation. And so it's interesting that she got a picture of that. So we move on. And there's another camp. The, the school is associated with the Baptist Union over there. And so uh, the Moldovan government, and this gives a good picture of what Moldova looks like. It's really pretty, just kind of rolling hills all over the place. And uh, the Moldovan government, although the largest uh, branch of Christianity over there is Orthodoxy, they're very friendly, apparently, toward most of the, even the Protestant groups as well. So they, they recently just gave uh, them, I think this is a 10-hectare uh, plot of land there right off one of the main roads, and they started putting up these buildings, these very nice kind of buildings, uh, apartment-type buildings, and the first occupants... I showed you the other camp. There was like 80 refugees there. There's another 100 or so at this camp as well. So we visited this one. And I think in the next slide, we uh, see a little bit more of it. Yeah, I'm walking down the street talking with the director of the camp. He's explaining what all they're doing. So that was a really great experience. And then I was, I'd been told for years in Russia to always to be ready to, be pre- to preach if some, just on the spur of the moment, somebody might just ask you out of the blue. That had never happened to me in Russia. Well, we get here, we're on the way to this particular camp, and Mikhail says, oh, you know what? Um, we're going to get there around dinner time, and they'll be in the cafeteria. And these refugees, of course, they, most of them don't know the Lord. So he said, every, every dinner, there's a 10 or 15 minute sermon, like a gospel presentation sermon, to the folks while they're eating. Would you do the sermon this time, you know, in Russian? You're like, well, you know Russian. You know what, two years, I've... I've been away from Russia for two years. I forget, forget the language, like in terms of like just ripping out a sermon that I don't even know what I'm going to talk about. So I'm at the far end there speaking, trying to, probably wearing the same shirt, you know, just trying my best, you know, to spit something out. And it seemed to come out quite well. The Lord was very gracious, but uh, that, that was a neat experience. There was one other experience that was neat too. So this was on the day, uh, this was the day before this one, Mihai had been asked to do a Romanian funeral. So he asked Brian and I to come along with him to, to this Romanian or this Moldovan funeral. 
We're like, sure, you know, we've got a few hours. <laughs> Terry's at, at the apartment at the school. So we go with him, and again, the same thing. About 10 minutes before we get to the funeral home, he's like, ah, you know what? Could you guys help give the, uh, fu- <laughs> the funeral oration thing or whatever it's called? And Brian's like, you know, I don't know that that's, uh, that, I don't know that, or the, the person uh, I was there with said that. And so I said, um, but I was like, yeah, I guess. And it was, in, it was a Romanian funeral or Moldovan funeral in Romanian language so I could speak in English. But still, again, it was pretty wild because literally we walk in, we see this grieving man. He's got sunglasses on so you can't see his eyes. I greet him and I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm going to be saying something about you and your wife or whatever. He's trying to share the gospel with this group through the translator, through Mihai. And the whole funeral, he's... It's an open casket. The whole funeral, he is kneeling right at his wife's face, just weeping the entire funeral while we're, while we're doing that. It was a really profound experience. But anyway, once again, gospel went forth, which is like the most important thing. So that was really, really great. All right. So at any rate, three days ago, three, four days ago, the Alliance, so we got back and I... And I uh, gave a brief, I emailed them a brief summary of, what, of our experience there and word that the Alliance has approved us to move to Moldova. So that's, that's really great news. You know, the 930 service is about 30 to 40 percent of this, and some of them clapped. Okay. I know you guys don't do that in this in Carry Alliance, but once in a while, okay? Praise God. I think this is a really good thing. So, uh, at any rate, so we'll be heading over hopefully mid to late August. So, I want to conclude now because we move, need to move to communion here and with something that ties into our situation over there in, as we think about going over to Moldova. And it's really special because this is now the third time where there's been like, been a, a life altering event in our lives that we've been able to share, you've been able to be a part of as well. So when we came here in 1994, remember preaching, still remember the sermon I preached on the Sunday night, probably just about this time in July at the the former church building uh, in 1994, and then the church called us to to come. That was a total life-changing time for us. Who could have imagined what would have happened since then? And then in 2004, been serving here for 10 years, and this thing begins coming up on the horizon to possibly go to Russia. Lots of you are praying for us. Remember, like the final sermon. It's like, boom, we're gone. On to another life change. And now, and you, you're probably thinking perhaps, well, you're still just a missionary, not just a missionary, but you're still, you're still over on the field. You're just changing places. But it's different. We went over with four children it's like our children are part of our mission life experience. And now in August, we'll be flying over alone. And I know for some of you, when the children move out, it's like, yes, awesome. It was never that way, you know, for us, especially in Russia. Because I, I can kind of understand that position here in the States where you're surrounded by friends and you got all sorts of small groups and friend groups and hobbies and stuff like that. And so the kids are part of your life, but they're not the only part. Well, in Russia, guess what? 
the kids, they're like your friend group as well, especially as they get older. They start leaving. It's like, what are you doing leaving? <laughs> it's like, of course you know they are, but just takes part of your heart with you on the way out. So it's for us there in Russia also, there's this, also this sense of as the years go by, and this was what I was mentioning earlier in terms of decision-making when we're home about going back to the field, because quite frankly, as with all of you as well, but it's just a little more stark with us, when you choose door number you know, one over here, you're not choosing door number two or door number three. Well, four years go by. Well, four years. You know, four, year, four years of what would have been in America. Well, well, now eight years of my life of what would have been. You know, or now 12 years. Now it's up to almost 20 years, looking back, of what would have been, never know what would have been, and versus what we have over there in Russia and how life has played out there. And you ask those questions, you know, and you ask those questions as well. So when I came here in 94 as a 12-year-old, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I was a lot older than that. But guess what? I'm 55 years old now. 55. I really can't believe that. When I was younger, 55 seemed really old. Seriously. Now it's like, it's a still a little bit old, actually. But I, I look at life and I'm like, I've got 10 or 15 years. Terry and I have 10 or 15 years left before they kick us out, so to speak. And it's, and, and it's I, I think this hope wells up within me, and that's where I want to finish with this. This hope is welling up in me, and I'm so thankful for that, because it's not like, oh, bummer, I burned up 20 years of life in Russia when I could have been here, and now I've only got 10 or 15 years left of strength or whatever until maybe next moment I drop dead. But you know what I'm talking about. And I find myself existentially like, wow, some of these scriptures I'm going to read here in a moment are actually coming true. The joy is increasing and the hope is increasing. And it's not a matter of looking back with, oh, but a matter of what's next? Lord, until that day when I see your face, what is next on the agenda? So let me read just a few of these passages that tie directly into that and directly into communion as well. So we read in Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now Jesus didn't go to the cross as some existential act of altruism. It also wasn't just a mission from his father, although it was that. The cross was part of this larger plan, this deepest of all possible valleys, but on the other side was increased joy. You say, how can there be increased joy for God the Son? I don't know, but that's what the Bible says. So somehow, going through that, dying for us, the people who were supposed to reign, be born through Adam and Eve and just shoot out into reigning as co-heirs with Christ, the first thing we do seemingly is spit in his face, throw it all away, and every one of us since that day has reiterated that same kind of attitude toward the Lord, and yet he goes and dies for us. But it's for the joy, the joy that's set before him. So when he's sweating 
great drops of blood and when he's crying out to his father, is there a different way? There's also other thoughts going through that mind as well, like, oh, yes, but there's joy on the other side and I'm a joy hunter. I'm seeking that and I want to please my father. And so he presses on through. You say, well, that, that, that fits with communion, but how does that apply to us? Well, that same mentality echoes both in the apostles and for the average Christian as well. So then the apostle Paul writes in a similar vein. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. He's talking about his apostolic ministry. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction. Boy, what a, whatever the term is, I can't even think about it. When, uh, when you, and when it doesn't even begin to touch what's really going on. Paul, elsewhere in this letter, will talk about, about what constitutes light and momentary affliction, like being beaten several times and being lashed and being in shipwrecks and left at sea and in danger from bandits and danger from this and danger from that. Light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal in Jesus there was this hope this belief this trust this is hell I'm having to go through but there's joy on the other side and I believe that and so I'm going to walk through it and the apostle Paul saying the exact same thing he's saying I got to go through these shipwrecks. I got to be beaten up, be beaten by the pagans and beaten by the Jews, rejected by everybody, but it's storing up an internal weight of glory. And I believe that. And therefore, I'm going to put myself in harm's way, in suffering's way, in pain's way for the sake of the gospel because I really believe that on the other side. Say, okay, that's great for apostles. What about for us? So then Paul writes in Romans, talking about all believers. Through him, we have obtain, also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope, joy in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. That's what we're looking for, is this hope. And you know, as I look around this congregation where I see you all, it doesn't matter if you're younger or middle-aged or older, I, I just want to ask you, as I have to ask myself, what are you doing in life? Like, what's it all about for you as a believer? Is it about not martyr mentality of just going out and, 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 and being beaten up for no reason, but is it about kingdom stuff. Like my daily life is about looking around for kingdom opportunities that yes, are going to include suffering. Suffering like maybe I'm not playing golf today. Or suffering like, wow, I gotta hold hands with a cancer patient. Or whatever you might not like to do, but it's, you're thinking, the joy that's set before me. Do we, ha- do we really believe? Do, do we really Believe that there's a joy out there that's greater if we give up of ourselves for the sake of Christ in the kingdom that's better than if we like 
fence fence ourselves around with our house and our money and our stuff and our comfortable things, and we're getting older, that's great, so now I can retire, and when I'm retired, I can play even more and then die. Seriously? Or is it, and and I could point, boy, these fingers really want to mm, twist around and point to several of you, that's why I love being on the ground floor here, several of you who I know have retired And it's like, boom, I'm retired. Now I can serve even more. I can give of myself even more. I can suffer even more for the kingdom until that day. Why? Because of some sicko martyr complex? No, because you really get that there's a joy out there and this hope is welling within you to see that kingdom and to see your king. And there's, some, there, and there's some of you around in this congregation like that, and I hope the rest of you notice. Some folks who are getting older are getting, becoming more and more fearful. I see it in my own family. More and more fearful, trying to like hold on to the little they've got left because they haven't been packing in, storing up treasures in heaven, and that hope in their souls is not there. It's dry as dust, and they're scared to death. And there might be some here like that, but there's others of you, you're falling apart physically, but internally, and people see it, it's like glowing off of you. And I hope you, I hope by the grace of God that the rest of you see that going on in this congregation and it influences you and the Lord keeps transforming you. Okay, so now we're gonna move to communion and Bless his heart, Tom gave me instructions on how to do this, but I forgot again. So, this is of course precious time. We've just been talking about what the Lord went through for us and how that impacts our lives as well. So I wanna read for us one of the familiar passages about communion from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pause. You can open up this, this first part, panel, whatever, flap, and pull out your wafer, and we'll take a few minutes. Remember, this is a time of examination, and the scriptures talk about the fact that many of you, or some of you are falling asleep, that is, getting sick and dying, because you're not partaking of the Lord's Supper worthily. So as we do this, ask the Lord to search your heart. Uh, And if there be any wicked way that you're aware of, confess it to him quietly. We'll do that and then we'll, uh, I'll pray for us and then we'll continue on with the cup as well. Lord, we thank you for this time of remembrance. 
It's to be done regularly. There's so few things that we're commanded to do regularly in the Christian life, but this is one of them. It's that important. So we pray that you'd call to our minds not only the scriptures that affect all of us and the act that was performed for all of us, but remind us of our own individual stories with you, of how you saved us, of how you made us aware of our sin, that one day, sometime in our lives, maybe a year ago or decades ago, when you brought us low in order to bring us to yourself. Father, as we now also partake of the cup, we think of your blood, we think of what you did for us as well there. It's the torn flesh as well as the shed blood on our behalf. And we ask once again that you would deeply affect us. It wouldn't just be a cursory event that's taking place right now, but you would deeply minister to us uh, as, as the broken bread, as we literally fellowship in you through this, uh, this broken bread right now and this cup. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.